Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the podcast Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. This episode is going to be all about advocating for others. We talk a lot about advocating for ourselves, but sometimes it's important to stand up for the other people in your life. And we're going to talk about some of that today. We wanted to kick off the show with more just unbelievably great feedback from those of you touched by the commemoration about infertility and reaching out to share your essential, insightful, and incredibly empathetic perspectives. We've had lots of people email us to directly connect with the listener who started this conversation, and so we've passed that on to her. And today, we wanted to bring Marnie into the conversation. I'm just going to read much of her email in full. I wanted to reach out again after the latest Nuance Life episodes about the two women struggling through infertility. I know that neither of those women would have been particularly comforted to be reminded of my existence, a woman who went through infertility and didn't end up with a child. But I think it's the perfect moment to mention the possibility. One of the most terrible things about childlessness after infertility is that it engenders a feeling of invisibility. Awareness and compassion for women struggling through this terrible time of trying to conceive has started to be more common, which is wonderful. But when IVF fails, only about a 20% success rate I've heard, and other doors closed, we are left with not only the pain of not being able to start a family, but feeling like we don't exist, let alone belong anywhere. There seem to only be women who haven't had children yet, women struggling with infertility, and those who have had children. Sometimes I think we are so invisible as a group because people don't want to believe that we exist. We all Mm -hmm. want to believe that if you want something with your whole heart and work as hard as you can for it, then you will eventually reach your goal. But obviously this isn't true. There are some goals that can't be reached, some pains that can't be avoided or undone. The reason I hope you guys will mention us, the involuntarily childless, is because I want other women like me to feel like they exist. I want them to feel like we see them and can collectively bear their pain, even if it never goes away entirely. I want them to feel they are part of society again, returned from their long journey changed, but not diminished or obliterated. And I want the women who are still in the mud of the struggle to know deep in their bones that they can survive the seemingly unsurvivable. They can arrive at the end, choose to step off the painful ride of hope and devastation when it is right for them, knowing that they can build a life of joy and peace even without children. I know it feels untrue. I barely believed it back in 2018 when I first wrote to you 
about this, but I can see it today. Maybe not all day every day. The pain still sneaks up and bites me unexpectedly from time to time. But most of the time, I have negotiated this reimagining of my life and myself and have started to recognize myself in the mirror again. My life has joy and meaning. It may be a different version of joy and meaning than I wanted, than mothering would have brought, but it is still joy and meaning. I'm collecting a list of childless saints, my slightly tongue-in-cheek term of endearment for women I admire who never had children and aren't diminished in my eyes or in their contribution to the world. Sarah's fave Oprah, the Saint Mm -hmm. Teresa's, Elizabeth Gilbert, Ashley Judd, Susan B. Anthony, Jane Austen, Amelia Earhart, Rosa Parks, Harper Lee, the list goes on and gets added to regularly. I need a reminder some days that just because I won't ever do the hardest job on earth or the most important job, I can still contribute to the future. And I still belong to the family of things, as Mary Oliver, another woman on my list, said in her beautiful poem, Wild Geese. Oh, so good. So good. Well, the what that list has in common... And when she says, I won't be diminished or obliterated, it's it's not just that you survived, it's that you gained so much wisdom. That is a list full of wisdom, is what that list is. You know, and I think you hear it in Marnie's message that so much is gained and so much insight is available through these hard experiences and infertility or pregnancy loss or those um, just really heartbreaking experiences. My friend called it once the death of a dream, and we just don't like death. We don't like to hear about death. We don't want to see other people experiencing death of any kind Um, and believing that, that something good can come of something we never, ever, ever wanted. I always think it makes me so teary. I always think of the Stephen Colbert quote about the loss of his father and brothers. I love the thing I wish most had not happened. And I just, that is such a place of power and learning. And Richard Rohr has been spending a lot of time on wisdom that comes from the intersection of heart and mind and body. And that's that's real wisdom. You can't intellectualize yourself to wisdom, right? You have to experience this intersection of the heart and the mind and the body. And that is exactly what Marnie is describing. The other thing this list has in common is that there is enormous creative energy in it. Mm-hmm. People who gave birth to art forms and social and political movements. And it makes me think about the conversation I had with my therapist where I was like, maybe I need to have another baby. And he was like, maybe you need to write a poem because creative <laughs> energy is all the same. And so I think it's just important to step back historically and recall that we have celebrated creative energy in men through building architecture and creating paintings and directing symphonies. Um, And we have glorified only the creative force of mothering in women. And we're trying to rectify that now. And what a beautiful list. I love the idea of the childless saints, this beautiful list of women who gave birth to other things and that possibility being there for all of us. Not that you lose that possibility if you give birth through mothering or that men lose their creative force through fathering. I hope we're getting better at recognizing that too, but that we all have this capacity to bring life into the world in different forms. And there is joy and meaning in all that. And at the same time, there is a grief in not being able to do that 
in exactly the ways and at exactly the times that you'd like to. And I think Marnie has just done a a wonderful job at helping us think more about people whose creative contributions are not lifted up in the ways that they need to be. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. The year two th- Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars, and a lot of those predictions were wrong. The truth is, we'll always get the future wrong, which is why we need to get life insurance right. That's where Policy Genius can help. I'm having lots of moments lately where I'm thinking, how is this the present for me? You know, not just where's the future going, but oh, I have some gray hairs, and oh, it's time to start thinking more about retirement. And oh, here we are at this moment in life. And life insurance is one of those things that just kind of creeps up on you when you think, wow, this is really important. And I never imagined that it could be as important to me as it is. And then it's incredibly complex. But fortunately, Policy Genius helps us make it much easier. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy, they can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It just takes a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. So as most of you know, we're taking advice questions now on The Nuanced Life, and Paige sent us a really great one. She said, there seems to have been a huge increase in the homeless population in my area recently. There seem to be people panhandling at a major intersection more often than not, and I've also noticed a lot of children selling water bottles at stoplights as well. Other than the obvious safety concerns about people weaving through major intersections on foot and often in the dark, we're talking six lanes, I'm struggling to solidify how I think I should best personally handle these situations. My heart goes out to those who have lost their homes and ended up on the streets no matter the reason, and I find myself thinking about them and wondering what happened long past that turn on my drive home. Not helping feels cold. But just giving them money doesn't always seem like the best option either. How do you guys feel and address the homeless population and panhandlers in particular? I think this is such a hard question because it is layers and layers of societal failures that we internalize in these individual moments when we pass our fellow human beings. And the truth is, it's both things at one time. And we do have to respond to it in both ways. It makes me so angry that in America in 2020, anyone does not have a home. 
And mm-hmm. we know statistically that if we could get more people in homes, Sarah, you and I were just talking about this on one of our trips, that so if we could get more people in houses, we would have less crime. We would have less drug abuse. We, we would still have issues in society. It's not a cure-all. But we know that this would make such a difference. And so this is all to say, Paige, that I share your passion for this topic And I think that you just have to do what we share in a lot of context, and that's sort of follow your gifts and your heartbreak and do your work, because I don't think any of us as individuals can completely tackle this problem. But some of us are meant to be leaders here, and some of us are meant to be supporters of that effort. So in my life, that looks like making contributions to our emergency shelter and trying to advocate for the work that our shelter does on housing. It looks like encouraging people toward affordable housing in business circumstances. And then individually, I just, this is probably not a great approach. You'll probably have a better one, Sarah. I'm looking forward to it. My individual approach with passing people on the street who are asking for something is to truly follow my intuition. And sometimes I have an overwhelming sense that I need to hand the person some cash, and I do. And sometimes I have an overwhelming sense that I need to keep walking. And I just pay attention to whatever that sense is. And the more I pay attention to it, the stronger I feel it. And so I just go with that. And there is nothing logical, I think, about that. But I always feel like I've done what was the best thing that I could do in that moment by just listening to that quiet voice? I think I definitely listen to my intuition if I feel like there is a danger in opening up my bag and pulling out cash. I always give cash. Long ago, I read a lot of perspectives that were basically, you know, if if you lived on the street, you would maybe want the cash for alcohol as well. You know, like I just think that The idea that there is some sort of superior way to handle it, or if somebody asks you for money and the response is, well, can I buy you meals? To me, that that is a a really moralizing approach on the giver's end and a demoralizing way to feel on the receiver's end. So if I have cash, which the biggest problem is often I do not, I just give cash to panhandlers unless I feel, like you said, that sort of, this is a dangerous situation. I'm not looking to dig around in my bag right now. I think that there has been a really positive shift in the way we think about homelessness and panhandlers. I see it in my community. I think it's happening nationwide, particularly with the Housing First movement, which is we just people have to have a roof over their head, period. No one gets clean on the streets. No one can address the really difficult challenges that might lead someone to be homeless from the streets. So above addiction concerns or mental health concerns or whatever the the problems facing that particular individual, the first step has got to be getting them fed and off the streets. So this sort of housing first model, and I think it's really, really positive. And if this is something that speaks to your heart, um, you know, I serve on the Paducah Cooperative Ministries board in my hometown, and I'm really um, starting to push our organization to start thinking in a more housing first model because it's just really supported by the evidence. Um, I also think not just with shelter, but with food, there's been really positive movements to just 
provide people with food. So in my community, we have the pantries, the little sidewalk boxed pantries, sort of like a lending library, only for food. And so I'm betting that many, your community page and many communities across the country have some of these pantry boxes. If they don't, uh, fun fact, it's an excellent Eagle Scout project. So maybe that's a good way to connect a need you see with Eagle Scouts who are always looking for something to do. And what I've found in my community is my little niche that that feels um, really impactful and empowering to me is my food pantry has often has surpluses of particular food. And I'm guessing this happens around the country. They have uh, because they get government shipments for the elderly population because we have Christmas lights and people pay with admissions with canned goods. They get a lot of certain things. So we always have a lot of rice and we have a lot of ramen and we have a lot of green beans. So what I do in my community is I fill my minivan because I'm a mom and I have hauling capacity and I drive around a lot delivering my children. So my little niche fit that works really great for me is I take that surplus from our food pantry and I fill the boxes every time I drive by one. We have one in my church parking lot. We have one at the public library. I drive by those every day to pick up my son from school. So it's super easy. It takes five minutes or less for me to swoop in the parking lot, open the back of my minivan, fill the food pantry. So there's all these ways, like when you start following something that breaks your heart and you see, you know, like as a as a busy mama three, it's not super realistic for me to be going to the store every time I see an empty food box, but because I was already on the Paducah Cooperative Ministry and they had they had a need. They had this crazy amount of surplus because of the way that they collect food. And so that's what I do. I mean, I think there's just there's this really, I think, great movement to say, we're just gonna fill people's bellies, we're just gonna get them a roof overhead. We don't want them to jump through a million hoops and fill out a million forms, although some of that is a really important, still an important part of the ministry because we need that data to understand where the need is. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Um, but sometimes we just we just need to fill the need and then we will see what happens after we can at least relieve that basic need. So I just think there's a lot of options and a really positive movement that communities across the country are taking to to fill that need. And so if this is what's breaking your heart, you got to figure out what the work in your community is like, where there's maybe a hole in that work, and if you could fill it. And I think that's a really good way, especially if you're a person who's just uncomfortable with street encounters, which I completely understand. Plugging into what is the systemic work is a good way to take yourself out of the guilt and complexity of those individual moments to try to say, okay, I'm contributing in this way. That's something my parents were really good at teaching me. 
to not feel guilt about every single ask because you are confident in where you are contributing. You know, I remember lots of times when someone would ask us for money for a really good cause and my mom would say, well, we're going to say no to that because we put our money here because that's where we're called to put our money. And it's just helped me avoid sort of the overwhelm of a lot of these issues, which can even happen when you're thinking about one particular topic. Thank you for your question, Paige. Keep sending the advice requests. This is rapidly becoming my favorite part of the show. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. ModCloth designs vintage-inspired pieces made relevant for the right now. Crafted by a team of in-house designers, signature styles include hand-drawn prints, unexpected silhouettes, and inclusive size range that celebrates all women. ModCloth never goes out of style. And I know that ModCloth is known for its really cute, like, dinosaur prints. You have several of those shirts. I think they're adorable. But I would like to make a plug for the schoolhouse cardigan that I'm collecting in an increasing array of colors because I find it just the most versatile, amazing piece in my closet. I have a yellow one now. I have a red one that I wore on Insta Stories and got tons of compliments on. And I have a black one. And I'm thinking, man, I need this in every color because when you can just throw on a colorful cardigan, it adds so many options to so many pieces in your closet. And this particular cardigan from ModCloth is just the best fit. The colors are always really, really great. I'm just, I'm putting a hard plug for the Schoolhouse Cardigan. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, including sale items, go to ModCloth, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter code LIFE at checkout. The promo code cannot be combined with other offers. Again, that's ModCloth.com and enter code LIFE for 15% off your order of $100 or more. of commemoration that I have read several times because it makes me so happy. It's from Amy. Amy works in a church that she also attends, which first of all, shout out to all of you who do that. That is a hard, hard thing to combine all of those roles. So just first of all, we're holding space. We see you people who work in churches. They also attend. She is the office manager there and has a long-standing relationship with the pastor. And she and the pastor had a conversation about what their relationship consists of. And they decided on they are friends first, members of the same church body second, and employee employer third. And again, well, what a beautiful goodness. thing. Serious? Why don't y'all just win at adulting? Yes. Who sits down and has such a great conversation? Let's talk about the definition and boundaries of our relationship. I mean, gold star for that right there. It's so good. And so with that healthy working relationship, Amy feels like she is heard and respected and able to speak into things about the vision of the church that go beyond her particular role. And kudos to everybody involved for making that happen. That is how you have the best workplace when nobody says, Mm -hmm. oh, this Mm -hmm. seems to be above my pay grade. So Amy runs payroll. She tries not to pay attention to what people make because, again, Amy is a healthy adult. Let me say this. If you have an opportunity to see everyone's salaries, don't take it. It doesn't make your life better. So good for Amy for just kind of blazing past that. But she did start to notice that one of her coworkers, who is a woman who has tons of experience in her role, is making about 75% of what a new coworker who happens to be a young man with no experience in ministry Mm -hmm. is making. And they're both salaried 
But Amy's perspective, which she acknowledges is not omnipotent, is that the woman works more hours and has more responsibility than her more highly compensated young coworker. So Amy struggled about whether she should say something, and she decided, and this is what I just want all of us to hear, I hemmed and hawed about whether or not to say anything. I listened to the voices in my head telling me that it was not my place. Then I told those voices to go away. Of course it was my place. If Mm -hmm, not me, mm -hmm. who on earth else would even know about it, let alone bring attention to it? Lord. Mm. So Amy went into the pastor's office and had a conversation about this. And she acknowledged that it was not her role and that she respects him and the entire board of elders, who all happen to be men, who decided what to pay these people. And she said, this is almost exactly the national average for what white women are paid to the dollar that men are paid. She said, I spoke humbly and told him that I appreciated letting me give voice to other concerns that I had in the past and also made sure that he knew that I did not want him to feel that he had to try to justify his rationale to me as it was not me that the discrepancy affected. She said they ended up having a really respectful and helpful conversation, and she was able to push back on some of his points. And she said that this kind of reminded her of our conversation on Pantsuit Politics about how Bernie Sanders said to Elizabeth Warren that he didn't know that a woman could beat Trump. He disputes saying that. But we both think he said it, okay? (laughs) And we both think that he didn't intend it in a sexist way. And because he didn't intend it that way, and because of his life's work being the promotion of all people, he wants credit for that and doesn't want to be called on this particular behavior. And and Amy says, I think that that's probably what's going on here. She said her Mm -hmm. pastor has a great record of empowering and encouraging women in our church to step into leadership roles and therefore may believe that he has no more to learn in that area. I truly appreciate the work that he has done, and also appreciate him allowing me Mm -hmm. to speak candidly about where there is still work to do. I mean, I just think maybe Amy should go into consulting, go into churches and help them set up these healthy relationships and then advocating for women in ministry. I just see I have a vision of a new career for Amy. That's all I'm saying. There is so much maturity in this message, and it just makes me so happy. And I want to just print out, of course, it's my place, Mm because I think that's the key here. I think all of us struggle in those moments when we feel something and we think, well, not me, instead of saying, if not me, who? And I love Mm -hmm. that Amy is sharing this example in truly one of the most difficult environments possible. You know, churches are wonderful. And also, oh my goodness, churches are hard. Churches are hard. Your feelings get hurt so often because your expectations are so high and because the rules are so unclear. And it can feel a little bit like the sun sometimes. Like if you get too close to what's going on at church, you're just going to be Icarus, you know, and you're going to get burned. Mm -hmm. And for Amy to do this when she is also employed in that congregation, it just blows me away. Well, I just think that this is one of my favorite things that has happened come out of the Me Too movement. And I think you especially see it in Hollywood just because they're public figures and they talk about it more. But what I really love is this idea that I have I have power, like especially I think you see it sometimes with um, white women in Hollywood. Like I am a victim of the system and also I have power within it to say um, I'm not going to work on a set unless it's diverse. I just think that that's really powerful, but it's hard to see in that moment. You know, I think that for better or for worse, we're a bit self-obsessed creatures. And 
especially in a situation, like you said, where you have things on the line and you're, you work there too, and it's a church situation and you have a friendship and all these things to say, this is my place to advocate for somebody else. Man, it's killer. It's killer. It's so good, Amy. So good. And then to be able to kind of detach from the outcome. So Amy notes in her message that the coworker will probably never know that she had this conversation. And that's not the point. The point was not the result of it. I mean, that's not my it. experiences with churches, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but just to know, like, I stepped up. You know, this is what I learned from Patty Dye, who is a wonderful author and teacher and speaker, that you step up, you make your strong offer, and then you just let go and you see what happens of your strong offer. But the the result is not the point. The offer is the point. And I love that Amy mm. did that here. Amy, girl, so many, so many lessons from your commemoration. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And Amy ended by saying, I didn't think about this until I typed it out, but check out my email footer, which happens to be this quote from Edmund Burke. No one made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. I think that is the perfect ending for today's Nuanced Life. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for sharing so much of yourselves with us through your advice questions and your commemorations and your reactions to others. We will be back here with you next Wednesday to talk about small acts that have big impacts. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuanced Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuanced Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash thenuancedlife. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuanced Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuanced Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.